want of the world is what? The want of man. Of course, it's generic, man and woman. But what kind of man is this world lacking more than anything? It says, man who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. And men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Um, what I'm going to share this morning I believe it's a snapshot of what's coming ahead of us. According to the Bible, when we are faithful in this end time, probably a lot of us that are sitting in this room will go through what, I'm, what I've went through. So as I go through my story, I would like to lay out a few principles that personally had helped me go through this experience. And I hope this will be a blessing to you. Uh, I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, my dad is a pastor, so they call me PK, pastor's kid. Um, I had a relatively um, peaceful upbringing. Uh, everybody I knew was Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up in Seventh-day Adventist schools, and um, it was a um, good life. And I grew up, and I went to Samyuk University in South Korea to study theology to become a pastor. And um, after that, I, um, well, there's the picture of our class, um, theology major in 2000. And after that, I went to uh, Heartland College in Virginia to be trained as a missionary. And um, I actually got to um, go to many different countries, um, around um, 20 or so. Um, ministering to different people, and um, they ministered to me, and uh, I had a great experiences and learned a lot. But during this time, <clears throat> there was one question that was always back in my mind, and that was a military issue. And a lot of us here are Korean, and so probably you understand the challenges we have to go through in South Korea. Um, the North Korea is a communist country, and South Korea is a republic, and the Back then, the war has not officially ended, so the government requires all the male, able male, to go through the military training for two years, and um, so most of you know that, and it's a mandatory service. <clears throat> so the question was, as a Christian, as a, a missionary, um, what am I supposed to do? Uh, because I knew, um, basically, that training was training for killing other people, so um, with <clears throat> also rifles or, you know, those uh, machine guns or they also will train you how to kill people with a dagger um, and also they're also trained how to kill with bare hands. Um, so it's two years of training and um, though I couldn't find clear answer from the Bible or the prophecy. Um, I talked to many different people. Everybody have different opinions. So finally, I just knelt down on my knees and I asked, I'm just going to follow whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to. So after praying and studying um, for many, many um, 
years, as I neared the graduation, um, finally I was convicted in my heart uh, that I should request for alternative service. Now I'll be a conscientious objector. Um, so I graduated in 2006, and I went back to Korea, and my dad came out to pick me up. And the very next morning, we went to uh, see the military officers. So I explained, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, and as a Christian, uh, my conscience just does not allow me to go through this combative training. So I would like to politely request for alternative service where I don't have to uh, carry arms. So the officers looked at me and they said, um, well, young man, you got two choices. Two choices here. You either go through this training or you are going to prison. So, of course, I don't want to go to prison. So I said, I'm not trying to avoid the duty to the nation. I, I love this country and I'm willing to serve in any capacity as long as it does not contradict with my conscience. So what I'm requesting is uh, even if it's longer, you know, more than two years, if it's even three years, I'm willing to do it. If it's something harder, I'm willing to serve as long as it does not contradict with my conviction. But then the, still the officers looked at me and said, young man, you only got two options. You either go through this combative training or you are going to prison. So the first principle I would like to um, bring it out this morning Principle number one, how can we be faithful to God no matter what circumstances we are in? Principle number one is that we have to commit ahead of the time for doing the right thing. You must avoid more compromise by already deciding ahead of the time. It's a wrong principle to say, I'll just wait till crisis and then I'll make up my mind. No, that's a wrong principle. You have to make up your mind every single day. As you study the Bible, on your knees, as you pray to God, you have to make up your mind to follow God no matter what. Because the, if you wait till the last minute to do so, um, you, you may not make it. Your mind will be, be clouded. Uh, you'll get scared in certain situations. You may not make the right choice. So decision for victory must be done today on your knees. Every day as you wake up, you have to commit yourself to God. God, no matter what happens today, no matter what kind of environment I am in, no matter who I hang out with, help me to be faithful to you. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. So when he went to Babylon, because he already committed himself, he already knew the answer. It was not the time for Daniel to say, well, let me, let me talk to my priest, let me talk to my parents. No, he already purposed in his heart. When this situation comes, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, a lot of times um, we allow situation and environment or who we hang out with to determine our decision. But... The Bible teaches us that we have the purpose in our hearts to follow God no matter what situation we are in. Um, we must be like this uh, compass needle. See, um, the situation or the circumstances does not change 
the direction it points, doesn't it? Now, you take the compass and take it to Africa, it'll still point to the north, right? You take it to uh, South America or Egypt, anywhere in the world, it'll always point to the same direction. You bury it on the ground, it'll point to the north. You uh, put it in the freezer, as it freezes, it points to the north, right? You burn it down, as it burns down, it'll always point to the exact same direction. The situation and the environment does not change the decision of the needle. And that's how we should be as Christians. Um, going back to the story, when they told me I only have two options, either to be faithful to my conviction or to go to prison, I already knew the answer. That was not the time for me to tell the officers, well, um, let me think about it or let me call my pastor. Um, I already knew the answer. So when that was the only choices I had, I told them, um, I'd rather go to prison than um, going against the conviction that God has placed in my heart. Um, so they all shook their heads. They said, well, you're making a huge mistake, young man. And I had to sign the paper right there and then. And after a few months, I had to go to the court. And they called my name, so I stood up before the judge. And I remember judge uh, looking at my case, and he, he looked shocked. And he looked at my face. He said, the first thing he said was, I'm so sorry, young man, that you have to actually go to prison for something like this. Um, it's a shame that our country does not provide alternative service for the conscientious objectors. He said, all I can do, according to the law, is just give you the least amount of a sentence I can give you. And that's one and a half years in prison. So um, that, with that, uh, judge asked me if I had anything to say. And I didn't want to give anyone the impression that I was trying to avoid the duty to the nation. So I simply said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a Christian. And I have absolutely no intention of avoiding the duty to the nation. I love this country, and I respect the law of this country. But at the same time, I love my God, and I respect God's law as well. But and whenever these two contradict with each other, I always have to choose God rather than man um, because he's the one who established our country after all. So I told them, I want you to all know that even after prison, my love for this country and my love for my God will never change. So they all nodded and um, they took me to the room next door. And for the first time in my life, I felt what it feels like to be handcuffed was a little heavier than what I imagined. Um, and they handcuffed me, and they also bound me with a rope, and we were all bound together with other prisoners. Um, then they took us through this like really dark underground tunnel. And as soon as we um, went into that tunnel where nobody, no one else can see us, the attitude of the guard to totally changed. You know, he was screaming at us and kicking us and, you know, punching us and pushing us against the wall and, um, you know, mocking us. And I realized I was no longer a citizen of South Korea. I was a um, slave now. And when I thought about that, and I could not even imagine what's waiting beyond this tunnel. And all of a sudden, I got really scared. Um, the fear just started creeping me. I said, what have I done, you know? Um, but then this uh, Bible text came to my mind right there and then um, from Isaiah chapter 43, 
verse 1 through 3. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, and he that formed thee, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I will give men for thee, and people for thy life fear not, for I am with thee. When I claimed this promise, all of a sudden, um, the fear just went away. And there was a purpose perfect peace in my heart and as we were dragged along um, I got a little bit even excited I couldn't wait to see what God has in store for me because I knew God would not allow me to go through this experience if God didn't already see the end from the beginning and so they were at the end of the tunnel they all shipped us into this bus and we headed to the prison that we were supposed to stay so uh, this is the prison Masson uh, penitentiary in South Korea actually this was one of the oldest prisons in South Korea uh, in fact it was so old and so primitive that uh, they were planning to demolish the entire building um, when I got there um, it was built by a Japanese uh, during World War II, so you can uh, just imagine how um, old and primitive this prison is. And our, um, as soon as we got there, they, of course, stripped me naked, and um, they gave me a prison uniform. Um, the top was okay, but the um, bottom was, like, so big. If I don't hold onto it, it'll just fall out right off, right? So I had to just hold onto my pants. The shoes was like so small, I couldn't even fit onto it, so I had to drag it all around. <clears throat> they gave me a number, 1453, um, so that was the number. And I will never forget the, um, the first time walking through the hall of that prison. Um, you know, on both sides of the prison, um, that, I found a few of the pictures that's really close to uh, the actual building I was staying. So... Uh, on both sides of the hall, um, you see all these iron bars and the doors. And as I was being dragged along, you know, all you hear all these people fighting, screaming, cursing, and banging the door, and you know, hands sticking out of that you know iron bar, and you know, people looking at me. Oh, here's here comes a new fish, um, and they're just um, just saying all kinds of things and. Um, I remember when the guard took me to the end of the hall where I was supposed to stay, he opened the big iron door um, and he opened it up. And then as soon as I saw the room inside, I felt like the, every cell and every uh, nerve in my body was just refusing to go in. I said, there's no way I'm going to stay for uh, 18 months in this room. Um, but of course, the guard pushed in, and I heard the lock behind me, and that was the beginning of my journey. And, you know, as soon as I introduced myself and I said I'm a give me a hard time, all these um, prisoners there, uh, they started to give me a hard time. And here's a picture that kind of gives us an idea. So there's no bed or anything. You just all sit on the floor. Um, 
and it's really tiny room and you got our room had seven people including me and for some reason most of the people in that room had a very negative experience with christians so as soon as he they found out i was a christian they were really harsh on me and um just to give you an idea uh the guy comes up to me and said okay you know hang your clothes on the wall so i you know put my clothes on the wall and then another person would come and just you know just throw it on the floor and say that's my spot you can do that you know and then another person said go sit on the corner so i'll just go sit on the corner <laughs> another person would come and then you know just kick me and say you can't sit there that's my spot you know kind of thing and <clears throat> another prisoner would just throw me a broom and say okay sweep the floor so i'm trying to sweep the floor if there's like one drop of hair they mock me and mock god make fun of me and laugh at me um and everything was just new and strange you know i you know i grew up with all this you know nice kind christians you know <laughs> all protected environment but all of a sudden like i was just thrown into this um murderers rapists and all kinds of people um and you know it's not just that um you know like constantly hearing you know curse words and you know profane words and mocking god and you know all kinds of stuff and um just being confined in that one tiny room with all the people with like stuffed air can't even look at the sky whenever you want you can you you don't even have freedom to talk to the person next to you like you can only talk when you're allowed to talk so each room has a boss and he makes sure that everybody's you know following his orders and um you know the meals were horrible yeah terrible meals and um there was hardly anything that i could eat and thankfully being in korea i can always eat rice and seaweed so that was good um and the toilet was so tiny you can barely sit there right um when you sit you will touch the wall right and i mean and there is basically no privacy or anything so each room has that tiny um bathroom and in the winter of course there's no hot air or anything so you just crouch down that that's where basically you take shower so you crouch down there and then you you know have to embrace yourself you know you can see like you know just thing coming out of your body and <clears throat> it's so cold and then you have a little bucket and then you just turn on the faucet and then you just pour it over it and as soon as the water touches your body you know you just you can literally see the steam coming out um because all the heat from your body is just evaporating um and just all that um i must say that was the longest day of my life um i could not i didn't know that one day could be that long and um i remember that was friday and the sun was setting and the tv came on and everybody's watching tv and you know um i never realized how hard it is to read the bible against the tv sound and the, all the noises and you know i started thinking you know, all the things that i i took for granted growing up you know like you know hot shower you know just being able to go to church and you know just sit there and have fellowship with you know church family you know sometimes they i hate going to church you know like little things just freedom to look at the sky um you know nice comfortable bathroom you know 
all these things, um, everything that I've taken for granted, I knew that um, it was, those were blessings that I didn't even thank God for growing up, you know. So cherish the blessing that I enjoy. I mean, how much blessing do you have in this country with all this freedom, luxury, and all these friends and families and freedom to worship, you know? These are things that we take for granted on a daily basis, but you don't really realize until it's taken away that how much we are blessed on a daily basis. Um, so, sun was setting, and um, I realized that uh, in prison, you know, uh, this is basically how you sleep. You know, you all crammed one against each other. You know, they just give you a little blanket that was so smelly and old. I don't know how long it's been there. Um, and then you are all, and there's no room to move around or anything. So you're all lined up like this, like sardines. And I realized, uh, and I asked the uh, um, boss in the room, uh, so uh, what time do they turn off the light? And they all laughed. Like, they don't turn off the light in prison. They keep the lights on because, you know, people harm each other, kill themselves. So I said, lights are on 24 hours here? He said, yeah. So I'm laying there trying to get some sleep, so I just pulled that dirty old rag, <clears throat> that blanket over my face, trying to get some sleep. And as I was laying there, you know, the tears were just flowing in my eyes. But then I thought about Jesus, you know, and what it must have felt like for him to abandon that heaven and come down to this dirty, stinky, dark, sinful world, right, to save you and I. And all the things that he went through. And when I thought about that, what I was going through was nothing, insignificant. And I remember praying that, um, Lord, I, um, I'm thankful for what all you have done for me in coming to this earth and, um, and suffering for me. And please help me to uh, show your love to uh, whoever I meet in this prison. And wherever I go, please help me to share your love to these um, people around me. And uh, next morning, I woke up hoping that things will get better, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> I was just getting worse, and <laughs> people were still hating me. Uh, I remember one day I was just sitting just reading my Bible, minding my own business. And the person next to me started to get in fight with another person across the room. And they were starting, you know, cursing each other. And then, you know, the person next to me just got so angry. And out of the blue, he just looked at me. And then he, he, he was about to pen, punch my face. So he just uh, took his hand and then he was just swinging across my face. And when I was just embracing myself, <laughs> Um, I heard the guard come and knocking the door, so the guy stopped, and he called my number, 1453, uh, you have a visitor. So I followed him out, and it was my uh, family, my parents and my big brother that came to visit me. And as I was following the guard, you know, I was saying to myself, you know, I, I just, I cannot cry 
you know, in front of them. I, when I see them, I, I will not cry, and I cannot cry. And it's already hard for them that I'm here. So I'm not going to make it any harder. As soon as I walked in, I saw their faces. I just broke down. Um, the whole entire 15 minutes, I was sobbing. Not even one word, right? And they're like, someone, someone, are you okay? Are they giving you a hard time? You know, are you okay? Here was somebody that loves, somebody that cares me, right? Somebody that understands me. Just seeing their faces, I just lost it. Like, I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Um, you know, why am I sharing all this? Because the next principle, how can we be faithful to God? Principle number two is that we have to realize that suffering and pain is prize for your commitment. Suffering is prize for committing to Jesus. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yeah, and how many? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. How many? Oh, every single one of us, if we were to commit today, right? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give myself to God. If you commit and follow Jesus, the Bible tells us, you know what's going to be the prize for that? It will be a suffering. It will be suffering and pain. The Bible never says if you become Christian, everything will go well and you'll become rich and, you know, on, in this earth, you'll just have, you know, marvelous life. That's not the, what the Bible says. The Bible says all that will live God in Christ. If you decide to follow Christ, you have to expect suffering and pain. And even our master, Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, he suffered. He went through suffering. And as we follow his step, why should we expect something else, right? And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. As soon as you commit to Christ, Satan is not going to just sit around and do nothing. He's going to try to make your life miserable. He's going to bring tragedies. He's going to try you. He's going to make, make you suffer and pain. And um, you will have to already commit ahead of the time, and you have to also expect when you commit for Christ, when you follow Christ, there will be suffering. And everyone that's godly, everyone that's committing to Christ will experience suffering in one way or another. You know, we pass through this life only one. You know that we got one chance, right? We have one chance on this life. And as we walk through this life, um, standing up for God and suffering for Christ um, is a privilege. You know, do you understand that even the angels covet our position? I can just imagine them saying, you know what? I love God so much. I love Jesus so much. Our commander, our master. I wish I had the chance to stand up for him and show him how much I care and love him and respect him. And we got one chance on this life. Surrounded when majority is going against God, we got one opportunity to show to the world how much we care and we love Jesus. And one way to do that is to share the suffering of Christ. When you are persecuted, when things are going bad as you commit to Christ, as you start coming to church, things start falling apart in your work and with your friends, you know, don't be afraid. Suffering, that is a prize. That is the privilege of following 
Jesus Christ. And Desire of Ages says, and of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon us, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. And I pray that each one of us uh, will not get discouraged as you experience tragedy or sufferings or pain when you come to Christ. Because, you know, suffering serves definite purpose in our lives. You know, first of all, it's a test of our faith, isn't it? When everything's going well, everyone can say, oh, I love Jesus, you know, I love going to church, you know. Yeah, God always blesses me. When everything's going well, anybody can follow Christ, right? But the true test comes when things start falling apart. When you start to suffer, will you still stand up for Him? Will you still love Him? Will you still come to church? Or you're going to all of a sudden abandon everything? Oh, this is not worth it. It's not helping my life. Um, right? So it's a test of our faith. But not only that, it also helps us to depend upon God. When we are suffering, it really mellows our spirit. We depend upon God. We come closer to Him. And it also builds our character. Uh, it's when we are um, under you know, trial that really builds our character. And it also makes us to be compassionate for another who are uh, failing or who make mistakes. It makes us to uh, be more compassionate to others as well. So there are many reasons why God allowed this, but um, principle number two is that, you know, just because you commit to Christ, don't expect everything will just go, you know, uh, well. But don't get surprised when things start uh, to fall apart or sometimes you have to suffer or go through pain. You know, after, you know, several days, things start to change in that room. <clears throat> the boss in the room one day came up to me and then he asked me, you know, you mentioned you are a Christian, but what denomination are you? So I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. As soon as I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, he, I could see he was shocked. And then he just went back to his, you know, spot. And in prison, you can't really have a long conversation because everyone got irritated. So uh, if you want to have a long conversation, a lot of time we just write letters and they give it to one another. So he started to write letter, <clears throat> And then... He came to me and then he threw the letter to me and said, read it. So I opened it up and I started reading it. And then he said, you know, 25 years ago, now I was in the military. Um, there was this young man um, in our unit who was being beaten up by the officers um, because he refused to work on Sabbath. And then the young man said he's a Seventh-day Adventist. And then he crawled up to me after getting beaten up by the officer, trying to witness to me. And I said, absolutely, I don't want to hear anything that you have to do. I don't want to do anything with your religion. You know, I don't want to hear anything about your God. Um, and then he said, and then I went on my you know, life after the military. But, you know, I often thought about him and what my life would have been if I actually listened to him. And he said, now I ended up in this prison and sitting here. And all of a sudden, one day, you walked in. And he said, as soon as I saw your face, all of a sudden, like, all the memory from that 25 years ago just came back. And then I thought to myself, I won't be surprised this guy is a Seventh-day Adventist. And then when I told him that I was Seventh-day Adventist, he was shocked. And then he said, you know, 
maybe God is giving me a second chance. And I want to listen and uh, I want to know about your God. So he's the boss of the room. So he made a rule that every morning I read everyone um, a chapter from the Bible, right? So I started reading a chapter from the Bible and things started changing. And I remember one person coming up to me and said, you know what, it's so strange because uh, studying about someone's God, you know, just, just makes me happy. I don't know why, yeah. And then another person com comes to me and said, you know, I just committed a murder. And if God really exists, why would he allow me to come this far, you know, kind of thing. And I was able to talk to them and explain about, you know, repentance and God's forgiveness and his love. Um, you know, I remember uh, one night <clears throat> I just locked myself in that toilet <laughs> and then through the bars I could kind of see the stars and I remember praying to God, you know, almighty God of universe, you know, there's nothing that I have that I can give it to you, you know, so I'll give you everything I have that's my heart and my life. I don't want to live this life just to, you know, earn money and just go through the circle of life. I I want to live this life for you, you know, and I want to give my life to you. So just use me. Whatever you want me to use me, please use me uh, as you will. And, you know, the Bible says a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, right? It's so easy in our days to measure among ourselves, you know, who has a better car, a better house, and more expensive stuff. Uh, but the Bible says, you know, man's life is not measured by the abundance of the things that we have. And Psalm 37, 16 says, a little that a righteous has is better than the riches of the world. Um, so, friends, um, your commitment to God, your dedication and your desire to follow Him, to Him that's more precious than all the riches combined on this earth. And after two weeks, um, I was moved to another building because um, there was a separate building between convicted prisoners and unconvicted. So after two weeks, I was categorized as convicted prisoners. So they moved me to the, uh, another building in the same prison. So um, they assign you different uh, workstation. So you know, people will not just sit there and do nothing uh, for years. So each prisoner has a assigned workstation. I was assigned to become a caretaker. So <clears throat> I um, was assigned the building where I was supposed to go and work from 6 in the morning and then we'll come back at 6 at night and then, um, you know, do that every day. And I asked, you know, so what am I supposed to do? So they say, you basically clean the building, mop and sweep and um, bring some water to the prisoners and whenever the meal time comes and then you um, you know, hand out the meals. That was our job. So I knew I had no problem with handing out the meals and waters and stuff, but when it comes to regular cleaning, sweeping, mopping, and all that stuff, when, um, that would be an issue on the Sabbath. So I went to the head of the caretaker for that building. Uh, he was another prisoner. Uh, he's been there for many more years, um, you know, many years before me, and he was the head in charge of all the other caretakers under him. So I explained, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, um, uh, and on Saturday, that's our Sabbath, uh, I cannot do regular cleaning and things like that. And then he looked at me and said, 
What's your name? I said, I'm Sung Hoon. I said, Sung Hoon, um, I think you are seriously, seriously mistaken. Do you even understand where you are? Um, you think you are on a vacation? You, do you think this is your home? You cannot just pick and choose here. Like you are in prison. You are a prison. You are a slave. You just do whatever you are told to do. And I don't want to hear about this foolishness anymore. Right? So uh, I told him, um, well, um, <laughs> I, you know, I understand, but you know, that, that's my Sabbath, and on Sabbath, I cannot um, do this kind of thing. And he said, well, I'm a Catholic, but I have to compromise here, you know. But this is not a regular society. This is prison. And then he said, by the way, if you refuse to work on Sabbath day and, you know, going on with this foolishness, then you will be sent to solitary confinement. And as soon as you are sent to solitary confinement, you lose all your privileges, I said. What privileges do I have, right? <laughs> and he said, well, privileges such as um, being able to purchase little things uh, inside prison, that will be cut off. Being able to write anyone or anybody writing you, that will be cut off. Being able to have visitation from your family, that will be cut off, right? And they said, you'll lose the chance to get out three months earlier. So when I heard that, I have a chance to get out three months earlier? And then he said, yeah. Um, if you're on a good behavior, um, you can get out three months earlier on parole. So when I heard that, like at that point, I'll do anything to get out one day early, right? <laughs> I'm talking about like almost 100 days earlier. So my head started like, like really spinning. Like I never heard about this. So I told him, so you are saying that if I'm not sent to solitary confinement and I don't get in any trouble, I can get out three months earlier. He said, absolutely. Guaranteed. So when I heard that, um, I got a little confused. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I think I've gone through enough. And nobody, nobody knows what Sabbath is in here. You know, I'm the only Seventh-day Adventist here, so you know, who knows? And then I thought about, you know, it's already hard for my parents to you know, just come visit me once a week. But if he cannot come and visit me anymore, if I'm in the solitary confinement, I mean, that'd be so hard. That's, you know, that's, that's not going to be good for them. And then I was riding um, my girlfriend back then, um, back and forth. So, you know, all of a sudden, if she doesn't get a letter from me um, and I cannot get a letter from her, then she'll think I moved on, you know, and then she'll move on and, you know, we're going to, break up and, you know, what's going to happen and, you know, all kinds of thoughts started coming into me, right? And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So the next principle I want to share with you is that principle number three, we are free moral agents possessing the freedom of choice, right? Regardless of where we are, we're in prison or where we have to understand and realize that we always have freedom of choice and we can always choose the right thing. Uh, that's a picture of uh, solitary confinement, um, just to give you an idea. The next principle is that fear of consequence is the reason why we so often fail. When we think about all the things that can happen to us, that's the reason why we so often fail. You know, if I, you know, now work on Sabbath, then I'll get fired from my job. If I get fired, I cannot pay for my house, my, you know, my car loan, my student loan, we're going to feed my kids, right? When we start thinking about all the consequences of what could happen to us, 
if we follow God. That's the reason why we fail so many times, so often, because we're so, uh, you know, we're focused on um, what could happen to us. And this is um, what it says in Patrick's and Prophets. Um, uh, it says, Every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their what? Lack of faith. Um, because we just simply cannot trust God enough. And it says, true Christian principle, not what? Stop to weigh consequences. You know, true Christians will not stop to think about all the consequences that can happen in following God's will. No. It says, it does not ask what will people think of me if I do this? Or how will it affect my worldly prospects if I do that? With the most intense longing, the children of God desire to know what He would have them do that their works may glorify Him. In other words, the true Christian will not get scared of the consequences in following God's will. And, you know, so many times, um, you know, we get scared of those things. But if you think about it, that's, you know, the consequences is not our problem. That's God's problem, isn't it? The consequence in following God's will is God's problem. That He has to take care of that. Our problem is simply to find out what's God's will in my life and simply carrying out, leaving the consequences in God's hand. Then it's God's problem to figure it out how to make everything work. But so many times we are so scared of what can happen to me. You know, she's going to break up with me. You know, uh, My fiancé will leave me if I do that. And if I be faithful, you know, I can lose my job. And, you know, don't worry about those things. In following God's will, our problem is simply to find out His will and leave that to God's hand. Um, going back to the story, I um, had to stop thinking about those things, you know, what could happen to me. And I just told Him, you know, even if that's what's going to happen to me, I want you to know that I cannot work on the Sabbath day. He was fuming. He was furious. So he said, okay, I'm going to go to the offices right now, and I'm going to... Um, Report you and then pack your bags because it will be sent to the solitary confinement immediately. So he went and I started packing my bag. And then he came back and then he told me, he said, well, are you all packed? I said, I'm all packed and ready. And then he said, well, you don't have to go. I said, what do you mean I don't have to go? He said, he said well, on the way I changed my mind. I said, I, as a head caretaker, I get Saturdays off. So I'll give that one day off to you, and you can just keep your Sabbath. I'll work for you. And when I heard that, I knew it was a pure miracle because there was no reason, no reason why he would do that to me because he didn't even know me. Um, and because I was so thankful for what he did, I, you know, I worked so hard during the day and uh, during the week, you know, weekdays. I, I just, if I have to scrub the floor, I just lay on the floor and scrub it so hard. I'll find things to do. And all of a sudden, our building became the cleanest building out of all. And of course, in return, the officers were all happy about this head of the caretaker in that building. So he and I became really good friends. So uh, whatever he, every few months, they switch us around. But wherever he goes, he got a special permission so I can go with him so I can keep keeping the Sabbath. And... Um, but after a while, an uh, officer came to me and said, uh, now I have to move to another workstation and become a barber. So I said, 
uh, I'm totally fine here. I can keep my saban and everything, so I'm okay. But they said, well, order is order, so let's go. So I became a barber, and I never cut anyone's hair in my life. So I <laughs> remember the first day when I got out, um, out of all, this huge gangster comes and sits in front of me. So I told the gangster, um, he said, you know, I want in the front this style, the side that other style, and the back other side. So I told him, this is my first day, you know. Um, so I try my best, but um, I don't know how it's going to turn out. So after I did my best, I gave him the mirror, and he looked at himself. He just burst into laughter, and he said, just shave it. So I shaved his head. And can you imagine most of people ended up shaving heads? Everybody that came to me ended up going shaving their heads. And as I'm shaving all these people's heads, I, I was thinking, like, why am I here? You know, there must be a reason why. And as soon I found out the reason why, because... So every time they move you around, uh, you room with whoever you work with. So now I have new people that I'm rooming with. And I saw one young man, younger than me, um, who came in with robbery. He robbed like eight different stores. And then he got sentenced for uh, three and a half years at the end. So as I was start talking to him, um, he told me that um, he was... Um, you know, he, he doesn't have a father. You know, his mother is a prostitute. And he said, I'll not repeat the life that my mom went through. So he wanted to get the money to get the tuition for college. So that's why he started robbing all those stores. And he ended up in prison. So I felt so sorry for him. And as I was sharing about, you know, God and stuff, he said, you know, you know I, I actually told the devil that I'll sell my soul if he can make me rich, rich you know. Um, do you think God will still accept me? And I have to tell him, you know, you know, it's the sick people that needs doctor, right? It's the sinners like you and I that need Savior. And that's exactly why Jesus came, uh, to save sinners like you and I. And, you know, as he learned more about God, you know, his attitude started changing. He started smiling, and he started writing his mom. Um, to cut the story you know, short, um, after a couple months, I had to be assigned again to become uh a prison nurse this time, so I had to leave that group. And the last day, I remember him watching me packing, right, as I was packing my stuff, and he was just watching across the room, watching me, and then um, the just tears were falling down his face, and he couldn't say any word. He just came and he just held my hand, and he was just crying and crying. He said, you know, and then he just said, pray for me, pray for me. Um, and then um, he said, you know, I know you went through a lot here on this prison, but uh, I want you to know it has not been in vain. Maybe God sent you all the way to prison just to save me. And from now on, I want to live a life that's not ashamed before God, not ashamed before you. Um, and next day, I was assigned to become a prison nurse, and <clears throat> the um, officer... Uh, you know, was interviewing me. He said, well, as a prison nurse, you have to work seven days a week, uh, 24 hours. Whenever we need, you need to come out and work for us. I said, well, uh, that's fine. Uh, but he said, on Saturdays, though, we do office work. But So uh, I want you to know that on Saturday, you have to do office work. So I have to tell him, uh, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, so I, I cannot do office work on Sabbath day. And the entire room just became silent. And all the officers stopped working, and they looked at me because 
this officer was notorious for being, being so mean and you know, cruel. Even the fellow officers were like, scared of him, right? And then he looked at my face and said, excuse me, what did you just say? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and on Saturday I cannot do office work. So um, other than that, I can you know, do all the other work. And then he looked at me and he said, guards, come over here. And they said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Are you going to work on Saturday, yes or no? I said, um, sir, I, I cannot work on Saturday. And he looked at me. You know, I wasn't dealing with other fellow prisoners now. Mm. I was directly um, dealing with the officer. So he looked at me. He said, you know, um, you just have, uh, you survived this far. It'll be a shame if you are sent to solitary confinement and lose your parole. And I said, no matter what happens, uh, I have to be faithful to God, you know. If I were to compromise now, all the experience I've come through, I didn't even have to come to prison if I were to compromise. You know, it'll be all in vain. And, and once again, God worked a miracle in his heart. And all of a sudden, he softened me and said, you know what, just you figure out with the other prisoners is there. And uh, I guess the time's up, so I'll just wrap up the story. Uh, <laughs> there's just so many stories. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I was able to workers of prisoners and uh, keep the Sabbath or, you know, every single Sabbath. And, you know, um, I was able to get out um, three months earlier on parole, uh, on good behavior. And from the very first Sabbath to the last Sabbath, I was keep it holy. And then the girl that I was writing to, um, she's uh, my wife now. And uh, I have two beautiful children. And we live in Virginia. And so I'm a living proof that uh, when you step out in faith and you become bold as a lion and following God, we're leaving the consequences in God's hand. He's going to do marvelous things for you. And I pray that each one of us uh, will make that decision today. May God bless you.